Good morning, church. Al, I'm thankful this morning for a lot of things, but one of them's air conditioning. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, Somebody told me, they said, you know, the reason you have sinus problems is because you're in the air condition too much. Just start doing without it. I said, I'll take the sinus problems. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> Who can live in this heat? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's been pretty tough. And uh, by the way, that's just a reminder. Look, check on folks, your neighbors, especially our uh, elderly folks, especially somebody that lives by themselves. You know, uh, someone's air goes out, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, this kind of heat can really be dangerous. But to welcome not only uh, uh, folks in this room, of course, uh, 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 in our uh, other assembly, as well as our live stream folks. I love the live stream baptism. That's what it's all about. And so our family continues to grow. And so uh, that's just the blessings of what you do uh, by uh, getting the gospel out there all the time. And it's us keeping focused on the simple things. But uh, uh, we uh, have a guest speaker today, Al. Uh, Trent, come on up, brother. I, uh, the homecoming. And uh, look, I uh, get right here in the middle. Uh, he's already sweating. Uh, he's fired. He's fired up for the Lord. We didn't put any special fan for you or anything like that. Uh, I refuse to um, call him doctor because uh, he was a preacher before he was a doctor, right? And so we let's keep those priorities right. Uh, so, but we are glad to have you home. Welcome home. It's great to see uh, you. But it's uh, I won't say even greater. I hate to have that sound. But your family, your family. It was great to see your family. And thank you for you guys being here too. So it's a great, great blessing to have you home, my friend. Great blessing. So uh, also uh, with the Langhoffers, which we're so glad to get the family back. And by the way, the kids are growing. Colorado Air is doing well with your kids. Uh, also, Aaron and Emily, uh, who's the senior pastor at the church where uh, Trent is the teaching pastor, came along as well. So we want to give you a WFR welcome. And, uh, you know, as one who can attest to pouring your heart and soul into the Lord's work, into his service, and especially to be given the honor uh, to preach here at White Street Road, I can totally relate to Trent and know his heart, how much it's with us. Uh, this is home. Someone said, do you think they'll ever move back? And I said, well, you know, Washtenaw Parish and Colorado are about the same. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. You know, so we, we are so excited about their new opportunities that God's using. But one of the blessings I've gotten to do through the years is to welcome home one of our guys who has given their heart and soul mm-hmm. to us. And uh, so we're super excited. We're going to have a prayer over Trent today uh, for his sermon, but also, Trent, welcome home, brother. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for our dear brother, uh, for Kirsten, for the kids. Um, this this family is, is part of us, and, and our DNA is, is in them. And wherever they go spiritually, uh, Trent is our son, Kirsten, our daughter. His children are our grandchildren. And we are honored uh, to be able to have him back today to share the word. You've given this man a tremendous ability and a gift and a talent. And uh, while we miss it on a regular basis, we know that he's doing your work in another place. So I pray a blessing on the church there uh, for Aaron and Emily and others who are working with this church. Father, I pray for today. Just inspire our brother through your Holy Spirit to share your word. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It feels so good to be back, WFR Church. Oh, my goodness.
You guys, you guys look so good. Serge, it's good to see you. Man, I, there's just no way for me to get to see everybody. Uh, Kirsten said, you think you can make it through your lesson without crying? And the older I get, and I'm not that old, but the older I get, the more emotional I get. You guys start hugging my neck, and it feels so much like home. It just starts to wreck me. So I'm going to do my best to get through this and not just become a blubbering buffoon up here. Uh, we got some catching up to do. We got some catching up to do. Uh, my family and I, Kirsten and our three kiddos, moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado uh, 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 in 2020, in the spring of 2020. And um, we closed on our home in Colorado Springs on March the 13th of 2020. Now, if you're doing the math, that was two days after the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. 48 hours later, we're signing on a home. That's the same day that President Donald Trump declared COVID-19 a national emergency. Within about 24 hours... Uh, the entire United States uh, shut down and everybody was on quarantine. So we got a call from one of our dear friends here in northeast Louisiana. And they said, T, did God really have to shut down the entire world to give you and your family a Sabbath rest? <laughs> and, I, and I said, brother, I don't know, but I sure am glad that he did. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, we have gotten uh, transitioned to Colorado Springs and rooted in Colorado Springs just with, with the grace and favor of God all over that uh, journey and process. Uh, CCU hired me to launch a counseling center and to teach in their graduate counseling program. And they do call me doctor up there. And, and look, what's funny, that is actually funny uh, because you know me, but they don't really know me, Right. So I show up there and I'm like, I've been in ministry for over a decade, got a PhD, hired by a university. And the students that I teach, their eyes are just like bigger. Just teach us from your wisdom, Dr. T. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I got wisdom. That's right. I'm going to tell WFR people think I got some wisdom in Colorado Springs. That's what I, that's what I love most about the Springs. Uh, But seriously, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak to you guys just a little bit. Uh, uh, just as a, a minister and as somebody who loves you, uh, without this church, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. There's no question. And in 10 years of doing ministry and, and counseling and teaching, uh, I've learned a lot about people, a whole lot. And conversations are kind of my thing. That's what I do. I am, I am an expert conversationalist. And so people talk to me about everything. I have been in some of the most intimate and graphic discussions you can imagine. And there are some moments in life uh, where people just find themselves at a loss for words. And I think over the years, over the last 12 years where I've been working with people and counseling families, I've learned that there are really two scenarios or domains, two times in life Uh, where people find themselves at a loss for words, where they find themselves speechless. And the first time people seem to find themselves speechless in life is in moments or seasons of excruciating pain. Excruciating pain. Now that's different than ordinary pain, uh, which is a weird thing to say, ordinary pain, but life this side of heaven is filled with pain. It's unavoidable. 
And it's the result of the, sin, the curse of sin on the planet. And over time, as followers of Jesus, we learn how to endure and persevere and remain faithful in moments of ordinary pain. But seasons of excruciating pain, those are, those are seasons that many people find themselves speechless in. There's just not good words in, in our catalog to describe those types of seasons. Uh, the, other, the other season or domain or scenario in life uh, where people are at a loss for words, they're just, they're just speechless, is, is when they have found authentic love. Authentic love. And in those, in those moments, people are trying to describe what it feels like for the first time to have encountered somebody that fully knows them and fully loves them. They just can't find the words to speak. And so a few thousand years ago, a friend of mine found himself in that situation. In that situation. He just could not quite find the words to describe what both the unconditional love of a God who fully knew his sin and brokenness felt like and love him anyway. And what it felt like for a community of people to fully know this person and love him anyway. And that's true love. And that kind of love comes from God. The scriptures teach us that God is Love. That's God's essence. And God loves the world so much, White's Ferry Road, that He gave. He gave His one and only Son, a sinless, spotless Lamb, to you. And because that's true, what that means is that one component of love, and there are a few. Uh, outlined in the scriptures, one component of love is gracefully generous giving. Gracefully generous giving is one component of love. And that's the primary means by which God told you and me he loves us. And so that's where we're going to start today in 2 Corinthians I'm going to cover chapters 8 and 9. Mike and Al have been preaching through 2 Corinthians. This is a true story. So I, I get a call uh, from Mike and Bromley, and they're like, hey, we'd love for you to come down uh, and, and teach for us. And I was like, man, the one place on the planet I would do just about anything to get in and teach. You say when. And they were like, we want you to come in the, in the hottest uh, part of the season, the most miserable time of year. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be there. And I was like, what do you want me to teach? And they're like, teach 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And tell them about that friend of yours, the Apostle Paul, who was really enraptured by the idea of God's love. And I was like, guys, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is Paul's request to the church at Corinth to make good on the collection he was going to pick up from them and take to the saints in Jerusalem. You want, to, you want me to come and teach on the tithe? And they're like, yeah, come on in, T. And I was like, gee, if that's what it costs, I guess I'll do it. But that's a high price to pay, guys. Um, so that is the subject of this section of this text. Now, let me, let me set up some context, give you some background. You've already heard a lot of this, but repetition is your friend. I tell this to my students all the time. None of you learned your multiplication tables the first time you ever saw them, and that's true. And don't pretend that it's not. 
And some of you still have trouble remembering seven times seven is 54. But if you'll keep studying and practicing, eventually you'll get it. All right, I'm not in the hard sciences. I'm not a mathematician. I'm a preacher. I don't have to be good at math. Uh, so Corinth was a wealthy town in ancient Greece. If you're looking at a map uh, on the southern part of Greece, there's kind of this island. And there is this really small gap between the southernmost island and the rest of Greece. And this gap is this um, canal uh, that was a major trade route for um, uh, shipping and supplies and material goods uh, at the time Paul had visited Corinth. And so uh, Paul is going to talk about two different regions in this section of Scripture. Uh, one region he's going to refer to are the churches in Macedonia. And the churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, and Berea, were like really impoverished. I'll talk more about that in a second. And I think that's how I, I think about most New Testament churches, is people barely scraping by, uh, really obligated to depend on one another to make ends meet. That was not true at Corinth. Uh, the, the church at Corinth was probably wealthy, probably uh, upper middle, if, if we were talking about, if we were to use terms from today's standards, uh, maybe even upper class. There was a guy named Gaius, I don't have time to get into all of it today, who probably had a home big enough uh, to gather the entire assembly of, of Christians in Corinth in at the same time, which that wouldn't have been, you know, close to a thousand people like we have gathered here today. It probably would have been 50. But that was a huge home and a man with significant means uh, at, this, at this moment in time, about 50 A.D. So economically, Corinth was wealthy. Um, there were probably a million people living in Corinth uh, at the time of this writing. So it wasn't a small town like Monroe, West Monroe. It was like Colorado Springs, right? And there was a lot going on. And a lot of people coming through. It was a really wonderful place for God to have led uh, the Apostle Paul to minister. And uh, Paul uh, was, was in Ephesus as kind of his uh, main hub of ministry and has uh, a, a handful of really significant interactions with Corinth. And you'd have to really kind of pay attention as you're reading First and Second Corinthians and Romans and the book of Acts, Acts 18 through about 20. Uh, to get the sense for Paul's interaction with the church at Corinth, he sent four letters to the church. So the first letter we actually don't have. First uh, Corinthians chapter five and verse nine, Paul references a previous letter, and we don't have that letter. The second letter is the first. This is a fun word to use: canonical Corinthians that we have in the scripture. Canonical is a fancy uh, PhD way of saying uh, first, first Corinthians in the Bible and the canon of scripture. So I have to use that language with students to make them think that I know what I'm talking about. And I do. And they're like, whoa, canonical. I'm going to use that. Um, so after Paul writes the second letter, first Corinthians to the church at Corinth, he hears about some sexual immorality, just some debauchery and some sin happening at the church. And he decides this can't be resolved with a letter. I'm going for a visit. And so he leaves uh, Ephesus and goes to Corinth and hangs out there for a while and basically reads people the right act. 
The Apostle Paul is not, not the type of guy to pull punches. And so he shapes up the church and he leaves. And eventually he hears that in some ways things have gotten worse. He sends him a third letter that's, that, that most kind of theologians and scholars call the severe letter. A severe letter. And this was even worse than the chastisement they got when he visited after 1 Corinthians was sent to the Christians in Corinth. And the tongue lashing he gave the Christians in Corinth was so bad. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about how afraid he was that he may have been too hard on them. But he gets word back that his harshness has provoked an attitude of repentance at the church in Corinth. May may we all as Christians be receptive to harsh feedback about our sinful behavior. And may it help us right wrongs in our life and reroute our course. So when he gets this word back, he sends 2 Corinthians. And he tells these guys, I'm so glad that you responded well. I've been worried so much about you. And there's a couple of things that we need to settle between us. And the, and, and the section of Scripture we're going to cover today, 2 Corinthians 8 9, is one of those things. And I mentioned this previously. About a year and a half ago, from the time this letter was written, about a year, the church at Corinth had told Paul, we want to take up a collection to give to the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And Gentile Christians in Jerusalem and Jewish people did not get along. There was a lot of conflict. And, and so Paul was telling the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, which is where Corinth was, those two kind of different regions near Greece, we've got to take up a collection to help the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And Corinth was like, hey, we're wealthy. We, we love uh, uh, Jesus and people that follow Jesus. We want to help uh, meet the needs of the, of the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And then for the next year, it was crickets from Corinth. So Paul writes these guys, and he's like, look, I, I need you to make good on your word. I need you to, to fulfill the promise you made. Now, this is not part of the lesson, but, but value added as Christians, we should be men and women of our word. When we've made a commitment to something, we should follow through with that commitment. People should be able to depend on us. And if I'm being honest, I think some of my biggest regrets in life or in ministry are falling short of being that kind of guy. That kind of guy. Those are the moments that keep me up at night. And it's teachings like this that, that, I, that I hear and am convicted by that point me to a better path in life. And this is also not part, uh, that's, that's point one that's not part of any of the sermon. This is point two. And I was telling Kirsten about this, and she's like, Trent, you can't preach two sermons at once. I'm like, babe, I haven't been back for a couple of years. I can do whatever I want. They may, they may, get, they may get three lessons today, you know. So buckle up, church, relax. You may be here a little while. And it's hot out there. Uh, so count your blessings. Uh, Point number two, not part of the sermon. Paul was the kind of guy that really depended on the church to pull through. And I was thinking about that for a little while, and I was thinking to myself, man, if I'm not living in a way 
uh, such that my calling in life doesn't require me to depend on a local church for support. I'm not living the right way. If, if I am not living my mission and calling in life in a way that requires me to depend on a local church for support, I am not living the right way. You cannot live as a lone wolf and live in alignment with the Scriptures. And so one of the first things my family and I were really... Uh, our first goal, um, because I thought I was going to lose my job at CCU once... COVID hit and the world shut down. I'm like, they're going to cut budget. And they're going to cut the first guy, the last guy they've hired, which is me. That was 24 hours before the world shut down. And I'm going to be like up here with no community, no church support. I wasn't even really worried about my career. I was worried about finding a local church. And I'm teaching a class uh, to a thousand uh, students that will fly into Denver and they, uh, CCU wants me to teach how to build a counseling agency. And the first thing I'm going to tell them, unequivocally, uh, uh, self-evidently, absolutely true. You want to build anything in life, build it in partnership with a local church. And so we got a great church, Trace Church. Uh, and in Colorado Springs, man, they're just, they're just not a lot of options for teachers and preachers, you know. So it's a lot of... Low-hanging fruit, and I'm the lowest of the low-hanging, so they gave me an opportunity to teach and preach up there a little bit. And I knew once we found a local church that things were going to be okay. And if you're not living in a way that causes you to de- that, that doesn't cause you to depend on the people in this room, reconsider. Because that's what Paul demonstrates. He was constantly in need of the support of his brethren. Yeah, Holy Spirit, absolutely. Equipped by the power of God, he was an apostle. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But he needed the local church, and so do we. Okay. All right, that's sermon number one. Sermon number two. God in Christ Jesus gave the most gracefully generous gift in history. And gifts like that should change us. So this is the content of Paul's first major point about generosity. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, I am not commanding you, that's important, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through your, his poverty you might become rich. So the first thing Paul does in this section is say, look, this is not a command. Now, he's an apostle. And apostles were given direct revelation from God. The canon of Scripture didn't exist. So how did you know whether or not a person was speaking an actual word from the Lord or was just saying that they were for some type of gain in life? And that's the purpose of the apostolic miraculous sign gifts. Those validated the message. And once an apostle had been validated, if they said that this is a command, whatever they were saying, that meant you had an obligation to obey it. And so Paul says, look, this is not a command. And I think there are a lot of people who then teach this 
in error. They're like, yeah, see, you don't have to take up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. But Paul says something next that makes it even deeper than an obligation. He says, this isn't a command. This is a test of the sincerity of your love. This is a test of the sincerity of your love. I work with married couples all the time. And the, the ladies that I've worked with over the years will say something inevitably like this. Trent, I don't want my husband to just do the dishes. What am I going to say, ladies? I want him to want huh, to do the dishes. Right? Now, as a man, that took me like... I'm still trying to understand that, guys. So if that's hard for you to understand, you're amongst good company. Okay? But there's a difference in doing something because you're obligated to, commanded to, and doing something because the love you feel for the other makes that happen naturally. And so when ladies are saying, I don't want him to just do the dishes, T, I want him to want to do the dishes, that's a different way of saying, I don't want to feel like a box on a list that gets checked off. I want to feel like the apple of his eye, the focus of his affection, his deepest, most intimate attachment. And I want him to just walk by and see the dishes and be drawn to them. <laughs> Ladies, that's an amen moment right there. And if I do all the preaching and amen, and it's going to be like six sermons. So that's what Paul said. He's like, look, as an apostle, this is not a command where you just check this off the list and then you get to move forward. That's not the point. The point is, do you really love the people of God or don't you? He says uh, there are some people. This is First uh, Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians eight one through seven. He says there are some people in Macedonia. That's that northern part of the region of, of kind of Greece. That are, so the NIV says they are, uh, they are in extreme poverty. In extreme poverty. So let me translate that into Louisiana for you. They are dirt poor. Dirt poor. Like rock bottom poor. The churches in Macedonia are rock bottom poor and they have given so Generously, He compares their giving to this sort of wealthy area. And he's like, are you going to be generous too? Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to go out to lunch. And the, the elders here and I were talking about that as I've gotten the chance to visit them. And one of my favorite things to do, true story, is to show up for lunch. And I'm the guy that invites someone to lunch. Like, hey, let's go grab lunch. And then I leave this in my truck, right? So we show up for lunch, and I usually get two entrees, and that's true. And most of you have eaten lunch with me, and you know that to be true. And then it's like time to pay the check, and I'm like, oh, man, brother, good night. My wallet's in the truck. Let, let, let me go get it. Let me go get it. And what, what do they say? Because they're wonderful men. No, man, I got it. I got it. I got you. And then I'm like, no, 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 man. Let, let me get it. 
And then they're like, no, I'll do it. Some of you are laughing because this has happened to you. And I calculated this out beforehand. All right, so here's the, here's the illustration Paul is giving. He's like, imagine you go out to lunch with somebody and you say you're going to pay. And you don't have your wallet, but they don't either because they thought you were going to pay. And somebody who just walked in with rags that looks just a step above homelessness, hears the conversation and walks over to the table and pulls out a crumpled wad of bills and coins and throws it on the table. That's what Paul is describing in this text. Corinth, you promised something that you haven't delivered and people with much less than you are standing in the gap. And then, he, and then he sinks it even deeper, as if that's not deep enough. It says, think about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who was rich. And there's, a, there's an interesting uh, point that Paul makes when he calls Jesus rich, because you and I know Jesus was born of a virgin into a dirt poor family. When he was born, he was in poverty. So what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the preeminence, the pre-existence of Jesus Christ, who's always been and always will be and existed in heaven with God the Father before he came to earth and was born of a virgin. This verse is one of the verses that we would turn to to point that out. And Jesus had this sort of unlimited, vast richness, this wealth, poured himself out. Some, some verses say, made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant and obediently humbled himself to the point of death. He became that poor so that you, who were poor, might become rich. And, and Paul's not talking about material wealth or poverty here. He's talking about spiritual wealth or poverty. And he's saying, you guys were broken beyond repair. And Jesus made himself nothing so that you could be spiritually rich, lacking nothing, having everything. What he's trying to teach the church of Corinth is that the graceful... Generosity God demonstrates towards us produces changes in us, church. It changes us from the inside out. And he's linking that idea, which is the first thing he wants to establish with this idea that God's graceful generosity shown towards us should not stop with us. I'm going to go 2 Corinthians 9. Starting in verse 10, Paul says, He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, in life, something should stop with us. Some things should stop with us. 
I'm trying to teach my kids that principle. Kids, some things in life should stop with you. So we're on a trip to come down here. And what happens when my kids travel in close proximity to one another? The same thing that happens to your kids. Don't pretend. Like it don't. It does. They start fighting. And so eventually it reaches a threshold that, that, that gets my attention. Yeah, that's, I teach parents that's called your intolerance threshold. And I, I'm not convinced that kids grow out of that as much as parents just become immune to it. Like your tolerance for that just gets so high you just stop being able to hear what they're doing. Unless someone with a lower tolerance, this is true, points it out. It's like, hey, Trent, your kids are kind of going crazy. And I'm like, what? So they're acting crazy. Eventually it reaches an intolerance threshold. It catches my attention. I'm like, hey, stop doing that. And what do my kids say? I didn't start it. And I'm like, no, but you should stop it. And because they're from Louisiana, when they hear me say that, what do they think I'm saying? Like, come at them, man. Like, in the fight. Like, stop it, man. Stop the fight. Win the fight. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. That is not what I mean. I mean, let, let that back and forth kind of tension stop with you. Don't return evil for evil. Over, uh, return evil for good. So that, that, we should stop the generational curse of sin in our family. Or the intergenerational transmission of traumatic shame. Uh, or, or we should stop uh, a legacy of, of deceitfulness and, and distance from Christ in our families. We should stop that. But we should transfer the generous grace of God. We should, we should be conduits for the gracefully generous giving of God. I'll I'll summarize like this. God's graceful generosity flows to us and should flow through us. That's what Paul's telling the church at Corinth. Man, you guys have seeds and harvest. Don't worry about that stuff. You have seeds and harvest because God's graceful generosity has flowed out to you. Don't let it stop with you. Let Let it flow through you. And as Paul is considering both God's gracefully generous gift of his son, and if he's considering how the Corinthians have committed to be gracefully generous givers as well, he's speechless. Here's 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So indescribable is an important word for Paul to have used. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but it doesn't take a lot of digging to figure out what Paul is trying to say here. In this moment, the word indescribable in the Greek, this is the only time in the scriptures that that word is ever used. It's only used one time. And I've got it on screen, and I've worked on how to pronounce this a few times, and I still can't figure it out. Enikdegito is the word. And it's only found once. And it means we really don't know. So when we, when we see a word in the New Testament 
that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. We look at other words in other ancient writings that are also in Koine Greek to try to figure out what that word could maybe mean. And so as we're kind of contrasting that with other words, what we come up with uh, is like indescribable, uh, very difficult to even comprehend, no real words to capture the essence of what this is. And so that's the word. When Paul is thinking about God's graceful generosity demonstrated in Christ the Son, the church's support of other Christians suffering in Jerusalem, he is so overwhelmed he can hardly speak. That's what he's trying to communicate here. And when he doesn't know what to say, when he is so overwhelmed by this graceful generosity, he says, thank you. He says, thank you. The gracefully generous gifts of God leave us speechless. And when we don't know what to say, we should say thank you. And that's been true for me. I'll get personal. There certainly have been moments in my life that have been excruciatingly painful and are hard for me to describe. I was talking with some friends last night about this. There have also been some moments in my life where the gracefully generous gifts God has given others has flowed through them to me. There are a lot of people in my life that are on that list, my mom and dad, my mom's mom and dad, my beautiful bride, my kids. And White's Ferry Road Church. So I want to conclude my lesson today the way Paul concludes this section of his letter. Paul says, thank you. And that's what I want to say too. So to the elders, staff, and Christians at White's Ferry Road Church of Christ, thank you. Thank you for showing up every day and being generous, being conduits for the gracefully generous love of God. You've helped me become a better man, a better Christian, and a better conduit of God's gracefully generous giftedness and giving in my personal life. And even though we may be separated by some geographical distance, we'll always be forever family. I'm going to, I'm going to move into our response time. And I, I want to say this. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're here today and some of what I just said, you would like to be true in your life. Find out how to be a better human being. Find out how to be a better conduit of the gracefully generous giving of God. Or find out how to better lean into a community of people that can really love on you. After I pray, we're going to sing. 
And I, I would invite you to come forward, get connected with this church. Uh, if I could take this group and teleport it to Colorado Springs. Kirsten and I talk about it all the time. The first thing that would happen is y'all would get a lot cooler and more comfortable. And, and the second thing is it'd feel a lot like heaven on earth, man. And so um, if, if you just need community, if you need transformation, if you need life change, this is a place that changed my life. Uh, and it could change yours too. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we love you. I just am so honored and blessed to get to be here with my family. Um, God, just just so overwhelmed and, and don't have any right words to say. I, uh, speechless sounds right. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for every person in this auditorium. Thanks for everybody in the Fellowship Center. Thanks for the difference they've made in, your, in my life because of your grace that they've allowed to flow through them. And God, I'm asking if there is anybody here who just needs your grace, that you move them to respond so that they can start to experience it. I just pray you would unite this this church and I pray you would just knit their hearts together demonstrate graceful generosity towards one another and towards this community in a way that glorifies you ask these things in Jesus name Amen